Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 440 of Constructive Criticism. I, I'm not going to lie, before I even introduce my co-host, I want you to think about, does it feel like it's been 40 episodes since episode 400? Abe Stein. Not at all. Not even not a even little, close. right? No, it doesn't even feel like 40 episodes since my first episode on. When I wrote that, I was like, 40? 440? That seems impossible. Just over a year. That seems so impossible. Dude, <laughs> dude, when we started the show, I told Casey and Matt that I would get a CC tattoo if we hit 100 episodes. Still don't have one. Uh, four CC tattoos. Like, I don't, I just like, I will do it if they do it. Like, if they do it with me, I will do it. But it would be my first tattoo. But 440 seems – we just recorded episode four. Like, that just happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm flying. You tell me it's been 10 months since we recorded episode four. I don't believe it. I it don't, doesn't even feel real. It doesn't. It, time, is a, time is a stupid thing. I don't even know what to say here. Um, I, I think that uh, some people might have missed that – we're we're masonless for the next two months, um, and I wanted to quickly say, um, good riddance, goodbye. Um, we get to do really cool episodes now that Mason's gone, Abe. Like, I think that uh, this episode in particular is one that like you and I are so excited about that Mason be like, all right, I guess we're doing this. But like you and I are like, yeah, let's go. Like this is this is a Spencer Mason or a Spencer Abe episode. Yeah, we we really get to bring it this week. And uh, Mason's just going to have to deal with that. He's going to have to live with the fact that he's not here for an all-time great CC episode. And I'm gaining on him in the episodes recorded. Uh, so that is a... Uh, oh, get it. So finally, get it. Finally clawing ahead. Let's go. You actually did another episode already. You might have done two with just me, right? Yeah, yeah. We're getting... We're we're making get, up ground. Get wrecked, Mason. Get wrecked, Mason Clark. Uh, no, this week we're talking about applying learnings to new problems, and I think that um, you and I both guested on a another podcast. Shout out to Ornithopter Flight Academy, um, and we both brought up the fact that we were doing this episode in the near future because it came up in both of our episodes. Um, I I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, this is something that even I said, like, last week, and maybe even the week before that, that this is something where I was like, we really, I want to do this soon, because this is just such a big, uh, such a big topic, and such a big area to improve in, like, everything in your life, if you really master the skill, um, and it's something that really applies to magic, but also just so holistically, that um, it it's hard to not be excited about talking about it. So, yeah, I, I love it. I think that's a really good part of being always improving. And we're going to drive right into that as our, our first topic. Always improving is the point of the show. We want to be trying to get better every week. Uh, I'm going to go first this week. And I think that I had a really interesting week. Um, I actually talked about it in the Discord. Um, uh, working on my mental state while things go awry. This is something that I personally have struggled with for many years. Um, and I, I kind of want to talk about it. So this weekend... In RCQ, where the time 
of the start of the RCQ didn't align with what was posted. They were there was confusion about it. Um, the the event was really close to my house. So what happened is I show up 20 minutes early. That's usually about how early I want to show up to make sure that I have my deck list written. I, I go to the bathroom. Like, I'm ready to go, right? Uh, door was locked. People said, oh, it turns out that the event's not till noon, um, which was an hour and 20 minutes away from when I got there. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, this is actually down the street from my house. I'm only 10 minutes away. I'm going to just go home. I'm going to try to... Calm myself down. I'm the type of person that has a really high, like, uh, it's not anxiety. Like, I really get into the zone before an event. Like, as I'm driving to the event, I'm thinking about the event. I'm, like, constructing the event in my head. Like, there's a lot of things that I'm doing. And so having that happen can really wreck my day. Well, uh, I get home. It's been about 35 minutes and somebody texts me and they're like, hey, the event did actually start five minutes ago. It's supposed to start five minutes ago. I was like, okay, I'll be there in 10. So I did hurry back. Uh, dude, yeah, you you look as upset as I was. Uh, would this wreck your day, Abe? I have to ask. This is like, I, I, would, I might never go to that store again. If this is one of my best friend's stores. Yeah, I might. It's like... That's pretty inexcusably bad. I would be, like, pretty frustrated. Yeah, I was. Um, so, historically, this has actually impacted me a lot at, like, Grand Prix. Like, all seven, all X1, uh, Grand Prix Day 1, and something goes awry Day 2 to make it start slower or, like, mess things up. And historically, when that happens, I actually bomb out of Day 2. So, th this has actually been a problem for me historically, and it was a problem for me this weekend. I, I played pretty badly Round 1, even though I won. Uh, I played really badly round two, and then round, like, uh, because I was late, the, the judge was nice enough to let me, he trusted me, he's like, yeah, just submit your deck list, this can give a chance. I submitted it with six, 57 cards in the main, got a game loss, lost game three to scam, and was like, okay, I, or game, game one to scam after having game loss and just was out, and I was like, man, that was a frustrating day. Um, And this is not abnormal for me like all of this adds up to me not having we did not podcast about good mental like this is bad mental for me um and i think that a lot of times people would use the excuse of the event going awry and like all these things for like why that happened but like the truth is if i have good mental that's not a problem it doesn't matter that's actually a me thing um and i i historically have this problem so I, I started working on meditation um, to center myself when stuff like this happens and then ramp myself back up later rather than – because I, I do believe that being in the zone is actually better than anything in magic. So if – I mean, I guess you could have the fire and that, that works too. But, like, I, I think that being in the zone is really important and, like, getting to the proper level – is really important if this doesn't make sense to people correct me but like going to going from zero to the appropriate level is a lot easier than going from hyped up to back down to hyped up to like there there has to be a level of like a center that you get to that you then back go to adjust to for your fight or flight that is going to naturally happen in a tournament setting and go ahead 
Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that, like, you know, flow states and stuff are, like, pretty accepted, um, like, sports psychology at this point. I think they're, like, actually just the center of most um, most sports psychology now is just, like, how to manufacture and control and maintain states of, of flow and what those look like. And personally, like, speaking to my history, my flow state is much more... Um, actually sounds much more zen than yours and i think that's because mine was something that i developed in terms of like uh like like i did a lot of like breathing meditations and stuff and learned to do that for myself yeah way to like handle my own well stress and anxiety at times independent of like magic and then that when i was like playing long magic tournaments and really trying to like hone in and focus in and develop that skill in that state I, which is I, how I, I sought to do it. I love this. I have two states that I play magic really well. One, when I feel like nobody believes in me, nobody believes in what I'm doing. And then two, when I don't care. But I can't force myself not to care about an RCQ. I, I already know that about myself. Like, this is this is a winner-take-all event. Like, so I need to... I But I can't manufacture people not believing in me in an RCQ, right? Like, that's that's not true. I think most people in the room are like, I mean, literally in round one, I every single person in the room was watching my match uh, as I won on turn three of turns. Like, and you know, we talked about this actually a uh, Patreon question not that long ago about like, you know, scouting. And I was like, if I go to an RCQ, the whole room is talking about my deck after round one. Like, that's just a thing that happens to me, and so. I then have to now say, okay, I can't manufacture this feeling. I also can't do this other feeling. I now have to find where I can achieve, right? So that's kind of my plan moving forward is working on that. Uh, I actually posted in the Discord. It's funny he said Zen. I like I need to find a Zen state before an event and then get to the, the proper level uh, during my matches, which which also could mean that between matches, I go back to that Zen state, right? Where it's like, uh, where it has to be an ebb and flow, otherwise I'd get too hyped, because I don't think that too hyped is good for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's also like, it's really exhausting to be in really, really excited states and really like, like, it, it, you can't sustain that, like, I don't know, like, I can't sustain the state that I remember being in like in some of my PTQ wins of like I am like ready sitting down to play the finals like my arms are like shaking from the yeah. adrenaline like like I, I'm when I'm done you'd like, have a heart attack after eight rounds right like it, it's yeah, just too much exactly you just you can't do that to your body um and you can't do that to your to yourself with the amount of just raw adrenaline you'll put in your system by by getting yeah this this is actually something that i I, i've played a lot of people who are like playing their first competitive rel tournaments during these rcqs and like they're shaking and they're really nervous and like i've even told them like hey you need to calm down like these are eight eight plus round events at minimum like 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 five rounds plus top eight is like gonna be really normal but it could be like seven rounds plus top eight like you really need to calm down Otherwise, it's going to be an exhausting day. Yeah. And, you know, that being said, I need to start round one at a point that I... I started round one really frustrated, really disconjected, like really in a bad place this weekend. Um, I won, 
But, like, I actually only lost game two, for example. Like I said, I won on turns in game three. But I actually only lost game two because I punted. Like, I punted a turn with a collective brutality where I actually just win the game if I make the right play. Win 2-0, get a take a break, get to calm myself down. Like, the whole tournament could have changed had I been in the right mental state to give myself that time that I didn't have to have into game three. So... I hope that listeners take this as a lesson of, you know, we we do a podcast on mental state, and you might think, oh, these guys all have great mental states. I actually don't have good mental for this type of stuff, um, and I'm 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 willing to admit that and and work on it this year. So, yeah, that's that's really great. Um, and also, it's like a really it's a really hard topic to talk about as like a whole episode, like the very specifics of it. But I I really think that's a really interesting way to understand. Like understanding your successful mental states more is like really interesting to me because, you know, you kind of think when you're someone who experiences it first, I was like, oh, everyone's is like this, but it's it's just so different. Um, for me, my always improving moment this week um, is actually one of my uh, New Year's resolutions for myself, uh, which is to be the New Year's resolution is to be a little more organized and to and I, I talked about this on the New Year's resolution episode of like my goals is to be a little more organized and a little like spend my time in more intentional ways and a part of that has been outside of magic where i want to do that um organizing myself and planning out more of what i'm doing and preparing and being like pre-planning for the things that i'm doing such that i am prepared to go and not scrambling the last minute or anything like that um just across all aspects of my life um down to like you know can knowing... we be re- can we be really vulnerable for a second? Yeah. Do you have ADHD? Yes, I do. I, I do too. And it, I think that people. I, I'm going to go real deep here for a second because I think this is really important for this topic. People think that like ADHD is like not a big deal, but it's actually like really impactful into our lives. Where what you are talking about is really hard for you, and acting like it's not, or acting like that's no big deal because I can do that if you're a listener. That's not true for Abe and me. Um, and the most successful I've been in my life is where I I pre-planned every freaking hour of my day. I was doing multiple videos, multiple podcasts every week, um, had a full-time job, had a kid. Like The most successful I've ever been, my whole entire week was planned out to, to like almost the minute in a Google calendar. But that's really hard to start and then also maintain yeah that is a herculean effort to do because like and, I, and i've been at like much more organized states than the one that i was in for the last couple of years and i think that especially the pan, the pandemic made it hard once like a, a lot of ways that my time was structurally built when i was grinding scgs like over 2019 was like oh there's always another thing i'm doing the next day there's always like oh my articles do this day and then my assignments do for college the next day and I have to get to class at this time, and then I have to that one, that actually being that. busy is so helpful for having ADHD. I want to be clear; it really is. It's like, so I great. In that <laughs> and then now it's like it's kind. It's been like hard to readjust to that. And I found that by adding in pre-planning as another task, you know, just kind of like for my own personal experience with ADHD, adding in pre-planning as a task, being like, okay. Tuesday night's my, like, now I know Tuesday night's my laundry night, so I can have clothes for, like, going to the SCG this weekend, 
in New Jersey and I'm driving, leaving like right after work on Thursday, on Friday night, and I'm getting off at this time. And like, that means I need to do these things. And I'm recording this episode at this, like all of that, having that chaos, well, let- being able to plan for that has been like my big always improving because reintroducing that and reintroducing that process instead of being like, oh, I have time for it. I'll do it whenever for, it made me feel a lot more productive. And, and for what it's worth, I think that's why you and I both love show notes so much when like we think about the show uh, and like, you know, you and I both, we went over show notes before the show. We also read the show notes. Like we were typing them together today. Uh, I, I think that that is, it, it kind of goes into my always improving in a lot of ways for like understanding the environment that you work the best in and then trying to manufacture that environment is really important. Yeah, exactly. So I'm proud of you, man. That's, that's really hard. It's so hard. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get <laughs> to the point like my, if I had a real definitive goal for the things in my life, it's to uh, at least get to the point where I've established bins for the things that I'm doing. And that's my organizational. It's like I know where all the things I'm doing sure. fall in a bin, and then organizing that time, and uh, yeah, being able to to start doing that has actually really, like the amount of things I accomplished last week, and that I feel like I'm accomplishing this week is already more than I feel like I accomplished in like most months of 2022. Uh, so, all right, well, I'm really excited for you, man. I hope I hope that this is super successful. If you want to be su- super successful, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash ccmtg. Join the Discord at $5 or more. I'm actually going to add a benefit for $10 after Mason gets back. Um, it's going to be a surprise. we got to talk to Mason and Abe about it. But uh, I can already see the want in the Discord from a single post I made. Uh, but yeah, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. Um, we're, we're always trying to do what we can for the $10 tier because it's the one that helps us like the most, to be honest. Um, and we have so many $5 patrons that we really appreciate. That's how you get into the discord. That's the, that we, we're keeping it at that level. We're not changing that. Um, but we want to make sure that we're, we're doing stuff there. So, uh, I will say that we're going, I, I will say this, it, the first, uh, I, the thing I posted in the discord of having a roundtable discussion will happen, and then that will become a ten dollar benefit eventually, where you get to impact the show in a real way at ten dollars. So, uh, Game Weird Lehigh, I want to talk about this really quick. Uh, this weekend I am doing coverage for a sealed one k, um, of Dominaria remastered. Abe, I I just. I don't think that people understand we have no RCQs this weekend and then we just have a, a one K for sealed. Like, and it was really funny. We were in a, a team testing session today and my teammates like, Oh, I don't really like sealed events. They don't usually have good prizes. I was like, no, no, it's, it's just a one K like it's the same prizes as if it wasn't a sealed event. Like it's just a one K. That's the best high stakes limited chef's kiss. Like, like so, it's sealed. Top eight draft. Like, come on, I, this this store that supports us supports Utah Magic in such a real way, um, and also, in all honesty, is supporting Abe and and Mason. Like, they're so cool. You should check them out. You can use the code CCMTG10 to get ten percent off your first order, and you want to support us directly. Uh, Abe, I gotta buy some of these glasses. I've decided. 
in the swag you store. Decided. Yeah, That's I it. I am gonna do it. Uh, there, here's the thing: like we're using a third party to like fulfill our store, so we don't get to like control the prices. Like if we want to make a dollar off of something, like it looks a little expensive, but like I need I need CCMTG pints. Like that has to happen. There's nothing more on brand for for you than a than up the CCMTG pint glass. I know, yeah. I know. I need them. I need them. I what's funny is I have a CCMTG mug. I have a Heasy and Media mug from the same third party. Like they do a really good job with their stuff. Like I had a, I, I have a shirt that lasted a decade from this place. So like if you're like oh, I don't know if I'm gonna pay for the swag store stuff. Like they the, their tri blends are great. We're doing the premium teas instead of the tri blends. But like I've had these. Like they last so long. Uh, they're really good quality, so check out the sack store. It's in the show notes. But let's get into the main topic, Abe. Before we do that, I just want to check in uh, on the... Okay, cool. I just want to check in and see if we have any questions uh, from the YouTube. Uh, really quick, before we move on, uh, if you want to see the show early, head on over to the, Discord, the, the Patreon. I feel like we don't promote that enough, Abe. And I, I should do that every week. That we'll, This is live. Like, we're doing this live yeah, on Patreon for the Discord. <laughs> Like, why don't we do that? I'm so dumb. Let's go. Hashtag always improving, man. Yeah, Figure I know. I, I really should. Uh, Okay. So we're going to talk about applying learnings to new problems. Um, We did an episode. I think I talked about it during the, the CCMTG Awards or like that same episode where I talked about how my last episode before I left was talking about problem discovery validation process and I, I there i since then like i i've been in product management for software for almost seven years now and one of the the key pieces the thing that i am strongest at um and honestly when people are like oh spencer's really good at new formats how was he so good at it because people that's that's the thing that i'm successful at uh, this is going to be the thing, is problem discovery. And I, I, wanna, I want to emphasize this episode with a key piece, that this is the most important thing, before you do anything else we talk about, Abe, is that a key to a proper problem discovery is that if you can't articulate the problem to someone else and help them gain an understanding, then you don't understand the problem enough to solve it. That means that if I and Abe are talking about a problem that I have with a matchup, in magic let's apply it to magic and i can't say abe this is the problem and abe can understand why it's a problem how it's a problem and we could write write down a problem statement together of like the reason that scam is good against amulet titan even though it's a mid-range deck is because uh the turn one turn one of grief plus uh rebuy whatever the card is called and blood moon effects add up to enough that your then mid-range plan is good enough to overall take over the game. That is the problem in that matchup. It it turns what would be considered a there shouldn't be good for scam because it's a mid-range deck, but and like the other decks, the Titan deck, to oh, it's actually a problem. Like the problem is this thing that Titan doesn't have a solution for. So that would be the solution that you need to look for in Titan. Abe, did I explain this to you well enough that you could write down a problem statement? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that that is kind of the goal that you need to look to when you're going into this process. And let's let's go over the process first, Abe, uh, because problem discovery uh, is what we call it in my work, but it's really important in magic. In fact, it is the point of playtesting. In fact, I think that people think the point of playtesting is like learning what's what the good or bad matchup is. How do you learn that, Abe? By playing the matches and right. then by identifying the problems right. that are being had on either <laughs> side of the table. You're actually identifying the problems that the matchup takes that that take place in the matchup, right? Like that's the whole point of playtesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's when you're breaking down matchups or pro like when it comes to figuring out what it is you're supposed to be doing, right? When you're trying to learn something, uh, it's really, really important to take what it is you're seeing and then break it down into the components of what's happening so you can identify the problem that you're working to solve. And then that's where what we're talking about here with um, applying what you already know and what you've learned to new problems, that's where that starts to come in. As soon as you've identified the problem and you can really say what it is you're trying to work on, that's where you can start to fill in what yeah. you've learned. I, w I want to back up a little bit because I think I think that I think that your point is like gonna be a huge chunk of this, and I want to I want to talk about the the piece before this because. There, there are lots of ways to do the process, right? Um, you and I, for example, don't play as much magic as other people. Mason actually, I, I don't know if it was on our podcast or something he guessed it on, about how little magic he played for Four Color and how it was all theoretical and problem discovery. And um, I, I actually have an article that I wrote for work that talks about this process and in, in in product management and software, like I might talk to marketing, I might talk to sales, I might talk to like other people who might experience the problem in different ways to come up with what the problem is, right? I might also uh, talk to the users, right? And and I think that there's actually really good analogs for this in Magic, where you can talk to your opponent. What do you think the matchup is about of the of this specific thing? You can you can talk to other people who have played the deck. Those would be other users. What do you think the problem is about? Uh, you can talk to the deck builder. That might be like the the person that came up with your list. Like what what is this matchup about? What what happens here? And breaking breaking those down into different um Taking taking those answers does what you like, and then com, com, compartmentalizing them into different segments gets to your point, right? What we're trying to do is we're trying to create a process to gain information so that we can then, once we've done that, uh, break it down into components. Like, uh, well, let's go back to the the amulet titan thing to go into your point, right? There are multiple problems. Blood moon is a problem. Right, like that's that's a problem card for Amulet Titan. Um, the grief turns on turn one are a huge problem. Uh, the 
uh, thought sees is a problem, right? The, the, the game becomes about these things and it makes, it makes the game about these individual components and what I can do against these individual components problem statements rather than individual cards because i think those are also different things yeah and and something about um you know just problems in general is that one problem you identify is probably a structure of many other underlying problems that create the big problem right like so in this example we're talking about um you know scam is a deck that has right these these elements right the discard spells into the blood moons right these both of these are are problems right the fact that discard spells are good and the fact that blood moons exist are good and those are then because of that you have identified two different avenues maybe that you want to look at it and all of those might even have under the thought seizes increase and stuff could have another problem of like well i can't do anything about that right that's a problem like amulet i'm not equipped to play cards that might be good against that um, so it is really important, but I, what's important once you have your problem statement and what really takes us into applying what you already know and what it is that you learn, uh, what it is you've learned to new problems that you're encountering is taking these problems and identifying their parts and then where the magic really happens, um, for me in finding these solutions is looking back at like the database of all the other problems you've solved that is your memory and going okay how is it that i as a titan player have beaten discard spells before how is it that i as a titan player have beaten blood moons before and then kind of because you've identified the structural components right what is it that's making this a problem for me as the amulet titan player well, it's yeah. That. How, how did I sequence with Titan with Besaidu, for example? Let's say Besaidu becomes the solution that you're applying, and then you like, okay, now I'm playing Tron. How did I sequence? Can I apply that sequencing, that solution in Tron? Right. Or even just, you know, maybe you're someone who's played Amulet Titan for, you know, five years now, sure. and you remember playing against, uh, like jun decks or like the, yeah. the the blood moon pack rat thoughtsies decks or whatever the like black moon or teamer moon or, bl or blue moon sure right like you remember playing against those two different kinds of things right you remember playing against different interactive decks that had blood moon as their finisher how can you apply what you used to do about that and see the similarities in the problems and those really come from from those structures and even more so it can be something way more vague right you could say that okay maybe i haven't played amulet titan at all but i've played legacy lands and it's hard for a deck like legacy lands to beat decks that play the right set of interaction spells in the early turns and also have game ending haymakers like um like blood moon or like against them it could I, be i wouldn't be surprised if the deck played fury anymore i haven't looked at legacy lands in a while but that actually right, makes sense but, for that deck. but this could be this could be legacy lands from like five years ago though, right like it could be six years ago seven years ago the core of it is that this problem of what is it that is actually happening and what it, what are the core exchanges that are actually happening? Not well, that of any of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're getting to like the exact point of like why that those first steps are so important, right? Because yeah. what you're writing down, what you're trying to explain to somebody else, that that key part of that problem discovery is like it's not that it's thought sees. 
It's not that it's Blood Moon. It's the thing that happens that causes the problem to the game state. And that can be applied across all of magic. Right. And and being able to do that and take that problem that's applied, right? You say, okay, this is my problem statement. What is the core of that problem? What is it that is actually, how is it that problem is manifesting? And then when you're looking for solutions, looking through what it is you already know and the things that you've learned in the past to those new situations, right? You're looking at, it could be a brand new standard format and you don't know how to, how it is you're supposed to approach beating shoulders, right? Like that was a real thing that just happened. It was like, how do I, how do we beat all these, like all these black mid-range decks? And the answer was, and this is kind of a heuristic answer, in the, which is a perfect kind of answer from that you get from this process of, okay, well, my opponent is invoke despairing me and they're like going over the top of me and their cards are just a little bit better. People turn to going over the top of them. Historically, what is what works in these kind of stand, standard mid-range uh, matchups in playing the the mono white decks in standard, which or or, to... or they win the mono blue route, right? Right, both the tempo route right. of like exactly, yeah, and both of those, both the way of going over and going under, right? Finding the perfect or right way to do it—that's where really having this skill refined starts to show because it's easy to know okay well uh i know i'm supposed to go over it i'm supposed to go under it and i define the way but when you're able to look at it the the better and better your problem statement crafting is the better and better you're going to be at applying your solutions from and and looking for solutions in the right places and looking for the inspirations for your solutions in the right places because of what you already know and that's really where this is magical for me and where i feel like this made the biggest difference for me is breaking down any problem from anything into what is it that's actually happening? What are the dynamics that are happening here? It could be, um, it could be within like a match of magic. It could be, you know, and we'll talk about this later. It could be outside of magic entirely. Well, let's do what that. What are the core? Let's do that because okay. I think I think we've we've hammered this point home, right? Like you've got your you've got to be able to define your problem statement. You got to be able to give it to a person. And they have to, like, you. unless you can help them understand it, you clearly don't understand it well enough to teach it. And thus, there there needs to be some help. I, I want to be clear, though, because there's a caveat to this. You might not agree with someone on what the problem in a matchup is. That's okay. That's not the point here. The point is being able to articulate and explain to the point where it, you can comfortably say that you have an understanding of it. Right. If 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 Abe and I don't agree on the problem of a matchup or what a matchup is about, there is there is some truth. One of us is probably right or wrong. But it, it, we've said this a lot on the show that having a plan, having an understanding and a belief is far more important than being right. And, and I, I want to hammer that home before we kind of yeah, move on. having one in the first place is an infinitely better step to have than having none and. Or even even having one that's half right and committing to it is better than having none and not committing to anything. Yeah, I agree. Even if it means you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, and just... even beyond like a problem in a matchup or anything that definitive, I've had times where, uh, you know, like I've applied things that I feel like I learned from magic to like just life situations, yeah. like interactions with people, like social situations where like. 
things are, like I, I've had like difficult situations with people in my life where I'm like, you know what? I've learned this. We both, we just need some time. We got to figure things out. We're just going to draw go for a bit. Yeah. We're just going to handle that life. And it's like things like that, which are all like, obviously kind of funny, a little, little tongue in cheek, but the ability to think flexibly in that way and the way that I described it I, thinking laterally. I, I don't, I don't think it's tongue in cheek. I don't think it's even that funny. Like Abe, I grew up in a cult, uh, my ability for social interaction was vastly underdeveloped before I played Magic. Um, like people hated me for a long time in Magic because of my both both the you know my mental uh, disorders combined with being raised in that culture like made it really hard for me. And I I don't think that it's even that far fetched to say like as far as looking at problems in Magic. Um, one of the things that, you know, being raised in a cult, I, I felt like there was absolute truth was really taught in that cult. And that is not a conducive thing to maybe working on a team of magic players, for example, it's actually not helpful. Um, it can be if you get to an absolute truth, but like, if you don't, it, it's, it's actually not conducive to like a good work environment. It's not conducive to a good team environment and magic taught me that. And uh, that's a problem, right? That that problem of like, do you need an absolute truth, or what do you need to identify the problems that you're trying to solve? That those are two different things. And I, I I'd like to highlight like you're saying, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek, but like it it actually wasn't for me. Like it actually was a huge improving moment for me. Yeah, and like I don't know it. It's weird to say, but I definitely feel like my you know the current job i have every job interview i've ever had in some way or another the way that i've approached it has been something that i've approached with lessons i've learned from magic right the entire planning of like what it is i'm going to talk about what it is i'm going to expect them to ask me in a job interview that's exactly like preparing for your rc uh i have made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in my professional life since starting this podcast and I can, with 100% certainty, say that this podcast came up in every single job interview that I did to get that money. Yeah, and, and the entire process behind, like, when you can break down a problem and see the similarities in the two problems you're looking at, the one that you have the problem statement for in front of you, right? I need to nail this interview. I'm, like, I need to do these things. This is what matters. And you have... No, like if you feel like you have no basis of how to how to start, being able to look at your past experiences and apply what you already know and what you've learned to but, this new problem. Yeah, I mean, even if you're shifting, like, let's go into work for a minute because I think this is really applicable to like most of our listeners. Let's say let's say you're in a sales job or a customer service job, and you then you're flipping, right? You're going from customer service to sales. You're going from sales to customer service. You're going from sales to marketing. You're going from customer service to marketing, right? You are now approaching similar problems from a different angle, right? You have the same problem. And what you're doing is you're coming up with a solution now that works for your situation. Or you can just apply the solution. <laughs> like if the customer has a problem in customer service and you're in marketing now, you probably understand the customer and can just give that same solution in marketing. 
yeah, and also you can you can find the right kind of solution for your problems in marketing from your experience in customer service, right? Like those things and all things really are so much more connected when you think about them in that way of the core components than like you might ever expect. Like for me, the fact that um, like my job currently uh, is somewhat sales focused uh, working in, in retail banking. And so when I am faced with a customer who comes to me and asks like, questions about what they should do with their bank accounts. You're like, what do they need? It's actually to me when I'm trying to like sell them on the idea, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to convince them to play the right sideboard. Right. That's and, how and, I it, right. and you're, you're coming to it from that. You're actually coming to it from a customer service angle, right? If you can have it from the angle from a CS perspective, then they'll just naturally fall into that. Right. You like, you talk about cyborg cards, right? You're like, okay, uh, here are the options that are available to you from a actually I'm going to let you do this. Cause I, I think you're going to explain this. Better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's for, for me, it's like, okay, these are the options. Like Spencer was saying, these are the options available to you based on what you're telling me is what you, and in this case, it's what you need out of your bank. But in magic, it could be, this is what you're telling me. You think about the problem statement in front of us, right? These are the options that we have in front of us as far as what our solutions could be based on what you feel and what you're telling me about your experiences with this problem, this is the best solution for you from my perspective. This is, this is what makes the most sense to me. And that process is one that like, when I talk about as, as far as applying things that you've learned in the past to a new problem, that process is something I learned from magic. Like I didn't know any of that about sales. I didn't know like what that is, but when I interviewed for it and they were like, what is your sales experience like? tell me about it. It was, well, I've had times where I've had to, I've had to, you know, back up my own ideas and convince people that I'm right and have them follow my lead on things and, you know, make the, like, have them convinced and, and, you know, heavily so that I knew what I was talking about and that, um, that they were in good hands with the decision that I was trying to, to present to them. And that was, that's it, right? And that process is something that I learned from magic. So it doesn't have to be that like everything we're talking about here is about magic. Really the beauty of having the skill and what makes it so important in the episode that I have cared about doing for so long now is that you can apply the things that you've learned from your job to magic, from magic to your job, from your interpersonal life to magic, from Dude, magic I, to your I, interpersonal I... life. It's all so connected that uh, if you can really get this down and understand how to do this on all levels, not only will your problems that you're discovering have better solutions, it will be easier to find those solutions. And your entire process is like turbocharged. It's like quantum yeah. computing yeah. for your, for your process. I, I, I want to give, I want to give a warning though, I, I because uh, I know the people who go too far in this uh, and I, we're not asking you to like min max your life. Like that's actually not good for you mentally. And so like, uh, if you can naturally figure out like the fastest way to work or whatever, cool. But we're not asking you to like break down your drive to work and like, dude, like that's, that's actually not that helpful. Uh, no. you'll be exhausted if you do that for everything that you ever do. But like when you come into it, like I'm, I'm married of, a decade uh, this year. And 
we certainly get to sit down and like talk about problems and think about like, okay, well, what can we do to make each other happier? Like this type of stuff does come up uh, in that type of stuff. It also comes up in interpersonal relationships outside of marriage. Um, You know, Mason's in the chat right now. The the number of times where I feel like Mason or I are doing something in the show where I'm like, Hey, can like one of us do this thing better? Or how can one of us communicate this better? Or one of is one of us having a problem? Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to like, I think that the board problem might have a negative connotation for a lot of people, but like if there is conflict the and you can apply this to it in your real world life, um, it's really helpful. Yeah. And, and personally, I think of it as like, to me, this is problem like a math problem, right? It's just a puzzle in front of you that you need to solve in the same way that in magic it's, it's, it's a question of, okay, you arrive at this new problem for the first time, new set comes out, you know, new cards, new standard format, rotation, whatever it is, you have this new problem in front of you. You've never faced it before. And if what you can learn to do is apply the things that you've learned in the past to shortcut your way to better solutions initially, because there's two ways you can go about it. You can either look back, think about all the things that you might already know from other things, apply that as your starting point, or you can start from nothing and work forward. And learning to, to not always be stuck in, well, I only know the things I know from magic. Or I only know the things I know from, you know, college or work about what whatever it is I'm doing. Being able and open to thinking about the other aspects of things into the contexts by breaking them down into the pieces that matter and applying them to the math problem in front of you. That is a defining skill. Like I, I had this conversation actually last it was like two weeks ago with my HR representative at work because we we're just having a touch point about it's the first time we've had since I've been with the company for six months. First time we've really had a chance to talk. Um, I'm in this development program. He wanted to get to know me. And we spent a solid 15 minutes talking about how that exact skill of looking at the things you've learned from anywhere, from any life experience you've had, and applying that to the things in front of you and using that as a growth opportunity and using that as a reference is like, it is an absolute jump starter for all the things that you you can do. And I, I genuinely, that's why I'm such a big believer in this episode and such a big advocate for it and have been for so long is because it really is a game changer. Let's get nerdy, Abe. I want to get a little nerdy. I think that, you know, we've talked about life. We've talked about work. I think that the thing that our listeners might resonate most with or might send Spencer hate messages the most for is how this applies to other games. But I want to use a different example than I would typically use on this podcast. And I want to talk about Hearthstone for a second. Uh, Abe, were you around for the beginning of Hearthstone? I was. Do you know who the most successful Hearthstone players were to start? They were all magic players. Every last one. Why was that Abe? Because we understood a core concept. What was it? Uh, card, card advantage. It was crazy. Like, obviously, that has not held true, right? Like, Hearthstone players, Hearthstone is so different than Magic now, but we understood a very core concept of this game in card advantage. And almost all decks were built to exploit that for, it felt like, like two years almost. Um,. What what happened here? Like what 
what was how did how did this simple thing to us as magic players dominate another game for so long well you know as someone who was there really it comes down to um it came down to a lot of things where magic players were able to identify where the biggest and most efficient ways to gain card advantage were how to best use and and not even just that in deck building but also in play they understood understood when to um maximize I, their mana can you know, i use their use their resources most efficiently because I, dude, they're used to they're used to curving that they're it's used so to funny that. And, and, hey. and also you know making sure that with it in hearthstone you have the hero power making dude. sure you're maximizing your opportunity cost like for me one of the biggest level ups i ever had in magic and talking about magic was taking a bunch of economics courses because now I can talk about yeah. what it is to have an opportunity cost. Dude, and like it's so funny. Like it's how so to be funny. Efficient and like your production possibility, things like your, that. Uh, your your return on investment on your mana is something that like I only learned from my job. It's so funny to like talk about that. We could do like a whole podcast on this. But I actually there's a reason I bring up Hearthstone. I want to talk about Chill Wind Yeti. Do you know this? You definitely know what this card is. It oh, is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. So hold on. <laughs> So, for listeners uh, that maybe didn't play Hearthstone, the reason I'm bringing up Hearthstone is because I think it's such a great analog, and the beginning of Hearthstone was, like, so dominated by Magic players. Um, so, there's a there's a very different part of Hearthstone than Magic, for those listening, where damage stays on your creature, and then you can also attack creatures instead of the player. Um... Chillwin Yeti, uh, I don't think this card sees any play anymore. It's, like, just definitely out of... They just tacked abilities onto it. It's yeah. the Grizzly Bears of... Yeah, so this card was a 4-mana four 4-5. Four and you may be like, that sounds so bad. Oh my gosh, this card was the peak of card advantage. Because if they didn't attack it, you got to attack their thing. And then it would kill their thing... And then kill another thing because it was so big for so little. And you're like, that seems so weird. Like, it's just a creature. Well, uh, it came it came in a deck that also got to play Wild Growth or Explore. I don't know how the, the analog is. It's basically Rampant Growth. It was Rampant Growth, right? It was like, it it the, the analogs here are like, Magic players understood mana advantage, card advantage. Like, they understood the basics to break... The analogs to magic from this new game. Um, and what all they're doing is what we're talking about in this podcast, right? They're just applying the problems they've already solved. Okay, well, what if I can, like, if I just played a limited game and I told you that I had rampant rope into a 4 5 almost every game, that'd be so good, Abe. Yeah. That's just, it's like, if you, if I told you I was casting Seed Rhino on turn three every game, you'd be like, yeah, your deck's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of what happened here. And this is just one example, right? Um, I think that, like, uh, chess players dominated teamfight tactics for a little while, where they got, they had this understanding of, uh, it, uh, I don't know the word for this, but like peace power, if that makes sense, where they understood individualized pieces and their like overall value, where 
they made exchanges really well because that's a huge part of chess in the like really advanced stages. Um, it, it's so interesting. And then team fight tactic players dominated uh, the version of that in Hearthstone. What is that? The uh, battlegrounds. Battlegrounds. Thank you. I actually play battlegrounds. I don't play team fight tactics, so I should know that. But what we're what we're saying here is like you have these these problems, right? Like. Uh, Abe and I have mentioned fighting games on this podcast, right? And understanding neutral is similar to understanding even game states in Magic. Understanding advantage states in a fighting game is similar to understanding advantage states in Magic. Like, who is the aggressor? Who is the defender? Who are you at an even state? Uh, what resources matter, right? A really good example of this that happens in Smash is like understanding jumps. Uh, and I, th- this is very specific to Smash that I don't think happens in like a lot of other fighting games. Uh, but in Smash, you it is it is a game where you have you have two jumps and you have a uh, a special move that also acts like a jump or a dodge up. And those are all of your abilities to go up. So if you go off the stage and down, that's all you have. That's a resource. Resource management is a thing that we can apply in Magic. That if you, that you can learn in a game like Smash. It, uh, you think of some of the games that you played. Uh, I mean, let, let's use Eternal, for example, because you played a lot of that, Abe. That is almost a direct analog of Hearthstone and Magic, like, combined. Yeah, it's it's almost identical to Magic in the way that, that it works. And really, like, if anything, it's it's just a re-envisioning of Magic where some, like, where instants and spells and stuff are a lot weaker and creatures are a lot stronger. But the amount that I've been able to learn, and not even just learn, but to, like, really solidifying myself of just the basics of creature combat of the value of combat tricks timing my spells you know playing around those things that's all stuff that i learn and i grow the skill of in that game yeah and i bring back to magic and likewise when i'm playing that game my ability to evaluate the cards in the game understand what's really strong when i'm building like a sealed pool or drafting or any of that those are all directly applied skills from everything I've learned from my magic career. Well, and then there are times I have to learn to deviate it, because it, the game's different. And reverse, the right? the same. What was that? And reverse, right? Like, your ability to increase your combat knowledge can apply to magic, just like your ability to understand card information and, like, card resource evaluation applies to Eternal. Yeah, exactly. And the way that... you know, And, and something that I think, like... Like you were saying with chess players or with you know, talking about Smash, I think those examples are especially important. And the reason I love them so much is because it really showcases just how big a leap you can make between two concepts and have it still apply. How two, how different two things can seem at their face and how similar they can be at their core. Where someone who is a great chess player probably could understand if you explained to them like what it is you're trying to do in 
a smash matchup when you have them at high percent where you're trying to play them into a position and like posture in a way that they leave you with only options that lead to you securing that stock. That's literally exactly what chess is the game of, right? The end it's game of true. chess is moving your That's pieces it. to well, confine you, them. And you hit on a key point. It's the end game, right? Like it is a specific problem, which is what we talked about, that you're applying a solution to. So you've entered the end game of this particular part of this game or of this stock or of, of anything. And I, I think that what people can learn from this um, is, is really highlighted in what you just said. I, as a person that is playing any given character in Smash, can apply the same thing that as I'm trying to close out a game in Magic as I am to closing out a stock in, in Smash. And going through the motions of understanding what is this about, what is this moment about, what is this game state about, and applying it there. Um, you, you you said something that I want to highlight before we close out, though, about Eternal, that I want to highlight that I often tell people if you want to understand combat um, and resource management to actually play Pokemon TCG um, as, like, a really good resource to, like, if you want to understand, like, resource management, like, that is the... That the entire game is resource management. Um, and it, it is like playing vintage with overpowered grizzly bears. It's like, I, I don't really know of another way to explain it. And uh, I've been playing it a lot with my son. We And it's it, he is learning. Like, he's thought about, like, where to put his resources a lot specifically the last two weeks we've been playing it more he's six years old and it's going to serve him well in life um and resource management is like a skill that you can apply at work at home at you know whatever you're doing and that's what we're talking about like resource management in magic is like really important but it's also not just in magic like the, the, this topic the reason that abe and i are so excited about it is that when we talk about these concepts um, they can be applied in a lot of places, and then you can also reverse that. Yeah, and it's it's inside of magic, it's outside of magic. The amount of times that I bring up to people, and this is because of my background going to to college for economics, but like it's a very basic principle of the marginal return on something, how much you get out of the next one versus the last one. The amount of times I'm just like, yeah, I mean, it's much better for me to do this the one time, or like do this a little more because I don't do it enough compared to doing this thing I do a lot of times over as just a, a easy little life like hack lesson for myself of making sure I'm balancing my time and that I'm getting the most out of what I'm doing. That's just applying something I learned in class at school to my everyday life in whatever in whatever sense. And that is really where you'll see the differences. And it's not just about um, being able to approach a new problem in the right way. It's being able to, when you get stuck with a problem or you don't know where to go with a problem or you just want to be looking in the right places for solutions to your problems, knowing how to look back at the things you already know and really drawing on the wealth experience you have from everywhere. Yeah, I would say like the number of times where I didn't have a Phillips screwdriver around, but I had the right sized, uh, the right sized flathead to do the same job is what we're talking about here that might be a like think about that for a minute 
like they do the same thing. Uh, you just get a little less torque. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. Uh, Patreon question. As long as, uh, as a long time control player, what are some things that I should be paying attention to and thinking about as I try to improve other archetypes, aggro, combo, mid range, etc. This is from Mikey, right? Um, it definitely no, is. Actually, is it not? This is from Keaton. Oh, well, Keaton. Uh, man, there's like a lot here. Um, I I'll go first. I I think that you should not consider yourself a control player. That would be the first step in improving a magic for you. Don't don't consider yourself any type of player. Um, you can have preferences though. I want to be clear. Uh, I prefer combo control i prefer control i prefer mid-range uh aggressive mid-range like those are the things that i prefer um that doesn't mean that like i limit myself or to to those things and it also means that like i know where i need to improve where like i can uh add to my game one of the things to consider though uh when you think about this is Probably to maybe maybe like dedicate time to things. Um, I know for me, I had a really hard time winning close matches with Mono Red for a while to the point where I did a whole like stream series when I was streaming back in the day where I was like, okay, I'm just going to learn Mono Red. Like I, I, I want to be like a really good Mono Red player because I think that acts really hard. And... I, eventually it clicked. Like eventually, now I think I'm like really good at mono red aggressive decks, but that was not always true. And I, I think it takes dedication. Um, and I think that being conscientious of your dedication to that type of stuff is where you should lean. Um, and then applying what this episode says, right? Like if I play mono red a bunch and then I move on to gruel, right? what can I learn from mono red? Or if I play a bunch of gruel and then I move on to mono red, what can I learn from those things that will really help you widen and have a wider breadth of those type of things. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a really, really good answer. I especially agree with, um, and this is one of the things that's always bothered me the most is like people who try to, or even just find themselves to find themselves in terms of one archetype. You're not a control player. You've just historically played control decks. You're a magic player. You play Magic the Gathering. The game is really broad. There's a lot going on there. You don't just do one thing. You don't have to pigeonhole yourself. Allow yourself to expand your range and don't think of yourself as someone who's only good at that one thing. It's just what you're experiencing. And what I would say is that if you're trying to branch out and build that depth and that breadth of range, then... I would say to apply what it is you, you know, on theme with the episode, apply what it is that you've learned from playing a lot of matches of control decks, right? Like, especially if you're playing an aggressive deck, you should kind of have an idea of what it is that your opponent's going to be trying to do because you've played a lot of games where you're exclusively holding on to the role of being reactive. So you should have an idea of what makes it uncomfortable to be reactive, right? What are the things that put that kind of correct pressure? What's important? As the I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually dive really deep into this because I, I think this, I, I think I have a really good answer for this. Uh, we did a podcast. I used to do a podcast called Brain Tapped. You can't find it anymore. Don't try. It was really bad. Um, but we had Cedric Phillips on, uh, 
on that episode, he talked about something before he ever talked about an SCG um, about uh, how he had a turn where he attacked every turn, no matter what. Uh, he's, I think he's told that story on coverage before. But the reason for him to do that was because he believed aggression was good, and he was forcing himself to understanding that part of the game. Um, this week, Matt Kling and I in Smash are going to do an edgeguard-only day where we are only allowed to kill the other person with an edgeguard, if, which, for those who don't know, means that we're off stage. Like, we're not allowed to kill each other in the middle of the stage. We have to force the other person off the stage and then try to kill them. Uh, off stage. It has to be off stage, which is huge. Like, I'm really bad at edgeguarding. This is my biggest weakness. The reason we're doing it is I'm weak at this part of Smash. I'm afraid to jump off and hit my opponent because I'm afraid they're going to kill me when I jump. Like, it's it's a huge weakness of mine. Okay. How does this apply to magic? Okay. Well, I'm afraid that if I attack, I'm going to miss some math and I'm going to attack back. I'm afraid that if I, if I play mid-range, I'm going to miss a key sequencing turn because sequencing is so important and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to a counterspell. I'm going to not sequence correctly. Listen, you you are. That's going to happen. Like, I'm not going to pretend it's not going to happen to you. But you won't learn unless you just do it. It's okay to take your lumps. I'm going to die so much at this smash day. Like, Macklin's going to kill me so many times. I'm going to literally want to throw my controller. It's going to be so frustrating. But you know what? You have to take your lumps. And I took my lumps learning Monored. I took my lumps learning, uh, learning. I, I, it's so funny. There are different people that if you ask them what type of player I am, they will tell you the type of player I am based on when I was learning different parts of Magic. People think I'm a control player. They think I'm a Jund player. They think I'm a Scapeshift player. They think I'm a, a Monored player. Like they, they'll tell you different things. And the reason is because I took my lumps, I learned the things, and that's, you have to do that. And that's also probably why you're so good when it comes to the new formats, right? That's why it's thing you're known for. You've taken your lumps in so many different ways, and you have that experience to draw from. That's true. Uh, we got a YouTube comment that I want to talk about. Um Cyborg guides are so hard to make. I I agree, and I I want to be honest because like, I, let's look at this. There's a I'm gonna edit this out. Hold on. Oh man, it comes up. It auto correct. It auto types this. What? It doesn't give us the episode, though. We did this episode. So, um, one, I want to I promote something. Our website, constructorcritism.com, does in fact have search functionality. There's literally a search bar on the top. If you have a question, like you're like, have they ever covered this topic? You can actually just search it. I just did it. That's how we answered this question. Uh, episode 386. Hey, that you've been on this show for so long, you don't even realize it. You were on this episode. It's been a long ride. <laughs> it feels so short, though, right? It's so fun. Yeah, I mean, 
386. I was like, was I even on the show for 386? I you had, you definitely were. I definitely like thinking about it. I definitely was, but uh, yeah, sick that number so far. Yeah, you were. It, I, it was, it was probably one of my first episodes back. I don't know. I, I anyway, we don't have to go too far into this, but yeah, we actually have an episode on this. 386 is how to build your own sideboard guide, and listen, it's not fun. It takes a lot of effort. It's really hard. Um, but for what it's worth, I think this episode applies to that question. Like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the matchup about? Um, and does your cyborg have the right solutions? Yeah, I think, I think that episode, I mean, obviously cyborg guys are hard to make that episode will make it easier for you to know where to start. I would have disagreed with Spencer. I think it's pretty fun. I think, I think putting together a little cyber guy for yourself, writing out on paper right before the event, that's a pretty fun experience, but it is a skill that you have to, uh, to, to, to be fair. Of of events that I've made my own sideboard guide for, where I cared a lot back in like PTU seasons or back in like RC RC or not RCQs. Uh, uh, wait, what were they called? RPTQs. 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 No, RPT Regional Pro Tour Qualifiers. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, I did pretty well when I did have a sideboard guide that I had prepared. I also had entire entire rooms of people playing my exact deck with my exact sideboard guide because I was so prepared to do this. Um, I don't, I don't put that much time into magic anymore, but it is, it is hard. I, I think that that's the thing that I want to highlight here. Like this is the, the thing that we're getting from, from, from our YouTube comments. It's like, you're, you're right. Like, I'm, I don't want to discredit you here. Like, you know, we bring this up a lot on the show and it, it is hard. It, it's a lot of time and it, it asks you to ask yourself a lot of questions. Yeah, but it also uncovers a lot of things you need to learn, too. I think it's, like, really the best. When I, when I do coaching and I'm talking about sideboarding and whatever, it's like, okay, what do you think of this matchup's about? They're like, well, I haven't asked myself that question. It's like, well, aren't you glad I'm here to ask you? You know, that's that's really how you make sure that you're, you have all your bases covered. So good luck to you in making cyborg guides. That episode will help you a lot. Yeah, I will actually put that in the show notes for everybody, for what it's worth. Uh, Rengitsu92 says... Uh, I constantly reference things that I learned in magic at work. Without it, I would be kind of lost in many ways, especially in learning and efficiency. Um, I, I just, I one, I really appreciate the people that are our patrons jumping in, listening to this episode, and, and understanding kind of what we're trying to preach here, Abe. Um, it's it's really cool to see that type of comment uh, on the live show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's going to do it. If you want to listen to the network... Uh, I want to quickly plug what Michaela and I are doing um, for Arena Mythic X. We are coming back. People have been tweeting at us again. It's been really funny. I announced that we're coming back. People already are tweeting at us again to like get guest spots on the show. We will be doing guests. Um, I think that's one of the, the main points of the show. Michaela and I are excited about it. Uh, we'll be doing a monthly show coming back. Um, I know that the guys at Common Knowledge are coming back this year. Um, and we'll have a pretty good slate of a podcast available on the CCMTG network between this show, between Sam's show, which shout out hit a hundred episodes this week, Gabe. I listened to episode 100. I was like, wow, dude, Drakner has been around for that long. <laughs> it's he's so cool. It, he is. It's he's so it's so good. Um, so shout out to him. 
Um, and then we got this show. So uh, you can like, review, sub, like anywhere that you're listening. Like if you can interact with the podcast in some way, I, it helps it so much. It, it means the world to us. Um, people can find me at Spencer H. Um, I have two people looking for coaching right now. I have a little bit of an open slot. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of like a pretty important job interview thing, but, um, I, I want to continue coaching. So, um, you know, hit me up. Um, you can also find me on Mythicast every month, smash through every month and neat to nerd. Uh, I think that Patty B and I have really hit our stride. Matt Kling and I have really hit our stride on those podcasts. So like, if you're like, Hey, I really love what I hear on constructive criticism and I want to learn other games. Smash is really great. If you really like, you know, hearing me ramble, then Need to Nerd is pretty great for you. Um, and then I think that if your goal is to get Mythic in any way, well, you know, we're going to be, be able to do our set reviews again for Mythicast. It's going to be really great. I think Michaela, if you don't know, is like one of the the best. Uh, I mean, she's she's like been the top of the VML so many times. Like she's really great. I'm, I'm so lucky to get to podcast with her. So. Yeah. Uh, you can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. Uh, I am still accepting slots for coaching. They are filling up a bit though. Um, so if you are interested uh, in anything hammer related, not hammer related, uh, really just any general coaching, um, I would love to work with you been having some really really great sessions recently and uh yeah i would love to take on probably one or two more really serious people or any amount of sporadic you know I, i've had people ask like oh can i just like do like one or two sessions i don't want to like do anything that serious like of course you can uh i'm really available to help especially with anything big or small so um just send me a dm on twitter twitter.com slash more nothings uh that's where you can find me and we can set that up so awesome uh Jokes aside, Mason Clark, I know you're listening. I think you're great. We miss you. And we'll see you guys all next week with another episode of Constructed Criticism.